Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research, where we exalt the left field while eating the right kind of fried egg sandwich. More on that in a little bit. I'm here with my co-host, Hunter Ginn. Hello. We'd like to thank everyone who listened to our first couple shows. Uh, please stick with us. We have a lot of ideas for future improvements and modifications and an everlasting list of episode subjects. But thanks again, and please leave us feedback at radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. So before Hunter and I tear into episode number three, uh, let's check in on our current listening. What did What's rattling around in your head lately? So I, I made a little list of things that I've been listening to lately. This is a pretty characteristic smattering of my usual listening. Listen to Disharmonic Orchestra Pleasure Dome. Mm -hmm. um, st started listening to it while doing some yard work recently. And, um, <laughs> it's the only way to do it. it I mean, it really is. Um, and anyway, that prompted a few more listens. Um, Storm and Stress, uh, self-titled record. It features Ian Williams from Don Caballero. Um, came out on Touch and Go in 1997, produced by Steve Albini. If you know Ian Williams and the work he's done with Don Cab and Battles, it'll it'll put you in the in the right ballpark. But it, it's a more spacious and more abstract take on that sound. Rollin ba Rollins band um, uh, End of Silence, hmm. album I've owned and loved for a long time. It's it's probably the only Rollins band album that I can really really get behind, but the backing band, super super crack, um, guys that were in a band from uh, New Jersey called Regressive Aid, a long long time ago, and then kind of reconnected to become Rollins backing band. Listen to Napalm Death, Harmony Corruption, um, super super underrated record as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think Jeff would agree with me there. Mm -hmm. uh, Yes. Took, took their grind down to Tampa and churched it up a little bit and made a badass death metal record. <laughs> uh, and then um, Farside, uh, Lab Cab, California, um, probably better known for their debut, uh, Bizarre Ride to the Farside. Um, pretty experimental hip hop from the time when hip hop was good. And anyway, that's, that's what's been rattling around here for the last week. Nice. Lots of, lots of good stuff there. I've been zeroing in on Carcass, Symphonies of Sickness for about the, I don't know, 514th time. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bungles, California. Yeah. Uh, two Peter Hamill albums, his early 70s solo debut, Fool's Mate, which is kind of a constant listen for me, it seems like, and one from the early 80s that I've had for a long time, but I've probably only given three or four listens to called Sitting Targets. Um, and that's really sounding better to me than ever. I think, don't know that one. I think his late 70s, early 80s stuff is really some of the best you know, material he, he ever did. Also, this uh, terrific third album by this thing called Downs Braid Association. The album's called Skyscraper Souls. I haven't talked to you about them yet. I just kind of got turned on to them fairly recently, but it features Jeff Downs, keyboardist on some of my total favorite sure. albums, like Yes is Drama, the first two Buggles albums, and the first Asia album. Um, this is like a newer project of his with U.S. songwriter and singer Christopher Braid. Uh, features some guest appearances by Tim Bonus of No Man. Uh, and also his great solo stuff. Uh, Andrew Partridge of XTC is on it, ah. and some other folks. It's top-notch art pop. It's it's wonderful. Uh, it's, it's got it's, the pedigree. Yeah, it's re it's really good. Um, and just a whole lot of Judas Priest, mostly the '70s stuff. But I'm venturing out into some some later stuff as well. This episode of Radical Research focuses on three progressive rock bands from the 1970s that are never mentioned in the usual discussions of '70s prog, but they certainly should be for both Hunter and I. These bands belong in the top tier of the whole movement for reasons we're going to detail throughout this episode. They are England's Nidralog, Dutch band Super Sister, and France's Art Kane. 
Uh, we start in the birthplace and home of the most well-known prog bands, England. In 1972, the oddly named Nidralog released their debut album, In Spite of Harry's Toenail, on the RCA label. What was your first introduction to Nidralog and this album, Hunter? Uh, you. Oh, okay. Um, I, believe, I believe that um, Mike, who was working King Golden's table at Nearfest, turned you on to them. Am I, am I right? That's exactly right. Okay, cool. All right. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, I, I was not at that Nearfest. You came back singing their praises. So I went and bought the reissue and uh, been in love ever since. I'm a huge Vandergraaff Generator fan, huge fan of angular, odd music in general. And um, there, there's, there's much more to this band, much more contour that Jeff and I will get into in a bit. But listening to, I think it was, it was really, it was Snails um, from Harry's Toenail that really, really drew me in initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll play a snippet of that when we get to the Can you imagine a label the size of RCA signing a band like Nidralog now? I, I, I can only because it kind of gives me hope to like look for an actual vinyl copy. Because I, you know, I, like you, I have the two-on-one CD and right. that's fine. It's wonderful. But I'm like, oh, if it was on RCA, well, maybe it's not that rare, you know, right? versus say some of those. I've never come across one. I haven't either. I, I haven't even checked to see how expensive they are. But hey, if it was on RCA, they likely pressed up more than you you know you might sure, it's, a yeah, it's sub label or something but the band's lineup in sort of gentle giant fashion found they found kind of nearly every member pitching in with a variety of instruments you know kind of adding to the usual vocals guitars keyboards bass drum setup they had woodwinds brass and the bassist peter calling even plays cello so they were one of these like ridiculously talented bands you know multi-instrumentalists who just found each other and formed a really oddly named band. Um, and kind of to that point, uh, two of the members are brothers, Colin and Stuart Goldring. And it's their surname, Goldring, that provided the sort of anagram for the band's name. G-N-I-D-R-O-L-O-G. It's an anagram of Goldring plus an extra O. So if you're wondering kind of where that name came from, it's, it's a nonsense anagram. Long live man. This is the, the way they open up the, the album with a song called Long Live Man Dead. Uh, it comes out of the gate like a nightmare. Like, you know, it's just yes. like noise and tension and paranoia. It's not twee fairy prog or anything. No, it, it, you're absolutely on the money. The thing I love about Nidralog, th- there are lots of things I love about Nidralog. But, and the thing that annoys me is that people tend to focus on the really caustic side of Nidralog. Mm-hmm. They were a band capable of multiple dimensions. It's really kind of like when someone says, oh, it sounds like King Crimson, mm-hmm. which is basically what they mean is it sounds like, you know, tritones and, you know, weirdly geometric time signatures. Abrasion. But there's also this really beautiful pastoral side to Nidralog, mm-hmm. as, as with King Crimson. 
as with a lot of the great English bands, no matter how heavy or dark they got, there, there would right. always be that sense of, yeah, that, that calmer pastoral element, yeah. which really always was a great offset to the heavier moments. Right. I, I think in general, though, and I mean, I think, I think you and I are on the same page here, that, all right, so these two albums, they came out, you know, right beside each other, and they're kind of companion records. But for me, Harry's Toenail is, is sort of the bruising bloody nidralog and um mm. lady lake is is the you know bucolic lilting beautiful nidralog and for there's, sure there's there's elements of each in in each album um but i think that they are sort of characterized by those things i i couldn't sum it up any better yeah I, and i think to the sort of pastoral element you're talking about the flute playing is killer and I, and you and i um you and I have, uh, I think, um, a commensurate uh, appreciation of the flute. Absolutely. We, <laughs> and, but here, here, I have to get a uh, pet peeve off my chest right now. Just because you're a prog band from the 70s and you play flute does not mean you sound like Jethro Tull. I've, no. I've read so many reviews of other bands that use flute, and they use it in their own way. And in the way that Nidralog uses it, it's a little bit more aggressive. It's very breathy. That <laughs> it is. It's, yeah, there's well, a lot of percussion. Yeah, and, and it's just you know, I love Jethro Tull. I love Ian Anderson. I, but come on, it, it, this sounds nothing like that. So I think you have to give a, a bit of a fair shake to you know bands that choose to use flute who sound nothing like Jethro Tull. Peter Gabriel played a flute in Genesis from time to time. It doesn't mean it. Genesis sounded like Jethro Tull. It's like saying this band uses guitars. They sound a lot like Chuck Berry. You know. <laughs> So anyway, that, thanks for listening to the pet peeve. Um, but I, I think this is one of many sort of auxiliary instruments that Nidralog uses so well. And, uh, and, and another thing that I think separates Nidralog is the conspicuous absence of keyboards. Mm. Very few keyboards in Nidralog. Yeah. And what's funny is I compared them to Vandergraaff Generator, where there's almost no guitar. Exactly. Sure. You know, a lot of the great prog bands sort of dropped out one commonly used part of that set of the rock setup. I mean, right. ELP didn't have a lot of guitar. Vanagraph didn't have a lot of guitar. Um, Crimson didn't ha actually have a lot of synths. They, they have, as far as I can tell, no synths. I mean, they're pretty much Mellotron. Exactly. Um, and piano yeah. maybe, but yeah, but like, yeah, no, no Moog or ARP. And while we're throwing around great names and, you know, let's make it clear and you'll hear some of the snippets we play in a little bit that Nidralog is their own band. They, they really did kind of capture their own sound, but absolutely, you know, when you're sort of like a lot of people sort of new to that, that really obscure underbelly of seventies prog comparisons need to be made. And like when I first heard Nidralog, I was like listening, I was like thinking, Gentle Giant, Vandergraaff Generator, King Crimson. There's moments that I hear Comus in there. There's moments I hear Black Sabbath. Oh, I definitely hear Comus in there. And some Black Sabbath heaviness. And, sure. and so, so they're, they're ticking off all the right boxes for me. <laughs> and and, and we're, just, we're just talking about the first song, Long Live Man Dead. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's more to go. Let, let's move on to, to Peter, the second song. Yeah. This one is like a gothic kind of post-60s Eleanor Rigby hangover or something. Right. Have you ever read the lyrics to this one? I have not. Yeah, I, neither you or I don't focus too much on lyrics, although, you know, I think we give them fair credit. It's just not, it's never like we, the lyrics. It's not, it's not the priority. Yeah, but there's mention of computer zombies in this one, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool for 1972. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, <laughs> the title character, Peter, at first resists being a computer zombie, and then the second verse, he gives in to, quote, uh, 
he's living in a uh, computer mock mansion, whatever the hell that means. But uh, I think it's kind of interesting that there was a little bit of, you know, technological paranoia back then. Sure. And, and, and kind of computers seeming like the things that were going to turn human beings into zombies. And boy, I couldn't. Still a possibility. Well, it's, it's, it's reality now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're, you're being sarcastic. <laughs> I was. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so that's a little, you know, Peter is great. It's a segue into what I think is a highlight for both of us with this band and a song called Snails. I, like I said, th this was my gateway. Yeah. Total Crimson-esque stuff. I mean, it's like infernal madcap mood swings on that crimson level. In infernal is the word for it. I also think, and I really, I think it kind of anticipates the the dread that you will find in uh, Prasant and Universero, and mm. and maybe even a little later like Shub Nigurat. There's less of the um, Weber-esque orchestration and, and such that you find in Rock and Opposition, but just the the general atmosphere. I would have a hard time believing that I any of those bands hadn't listened to Snails. Sure. Or, or couldn't at least appreciate it sure. if they hadn't heard it and were kind of subjected to it. I, I, I wrote down jazz from hell um, <laughs> as I was making a few notes because I mean, Frank Zappa of course had the album called jazz from hell, but that it's just really, it's kind of a silly little phrase, but it, it works in context of snails. And you, you hear a lot of like kind of almost what I'd call noise, at least for that time. And in this context. Absolutely. So put on your pyramid hat and listen to what we're going to play from the song snails. So that's Snails. Uh, three songs in a Nidralog appear very happy to lay on like this mindfuck, right? Yes. Uh, and there are moments when we have like a, an oboe and a French horn killing. And it, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, you know, a band you just referenced, Universe Zero. I mean, because you, you can't really usually say that the woodwinds are killing. But Nidralog used them for evil. And it's pretty great. Weaponized woodwinds. <laughs> yes. Uh, next song, Time and Space. Time and Space has a Griffin element. If anybody remembers those kind of folky UK proggers, uh, infamous for the full-time Crumhorn guy. <laughs> I don't know. Here we got like, I'm going to call them the Nid because man, that's, those are my boys, the Nid. Um, they really <laughs> start playing these time-bending accents. And I want to listen to a snippet of that as well. So let's jump right into another song. This is a bit of Time and Space. Cut this mood I'm in. Come up and spin. I'm 
Uh, the song that you just heard, Time and Space, kind of ends with this sort of Sabbathy meets Wishbone Ash thing, and they throw some nutso flute on top of that. So how great is that? Pretty great. Sabbath and nutso flute? Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Throw some <laughs> throw some burnt wishbone on top of that. I'm I'm all about it. So I love hearing uh this singer Colin Goldring. I you know, we gotta mention him. He's I think he's really good. I think he's, he's great. Up up there with some of the best ones from this whole era. Um and the next song Who Spoke, he's he's so fragile and exposed there. And I think this one really underscores how special he was. So I'm gonna urge people to just go out and, and buy this thing now. Um if you haven't gone to Discogs yet. Please do. Please, please. And then, then join us back here. So we're already to the end of In Spite of Harry's Toenail with the ending title track. There's parts of this one that bring to mind early Judas Priest, that really kind of distant, melancholy, somber thing sure. that my, my beloved Rockarola has. There's more prog jazz weirdness here. Uh, a harmonica sneaks in, and that usually annoys the hell out of me. I, I don't think you're a big harmonica. No, that, that's a... That's a, a, a negative signifier for me, typically. It's, 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 I'm actually it's, trying to think of a time when I've liked a harmonica. Other than... The Wizard. Black Sabbath. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. And, it, and yes. It works for me here. Because uh, I don't... It doesn't jut out as some dorky, dumb, bluesy thing. Right. It's not, it's not boogie. It's not boogie. Thank you. So, so harmonica, you're just not a big fan. This is... This is Probably second only to steel drum, steel drums. And it's not just the associations. I just don't like the sound of the instrument. Fair enough. Like steel drums. Uh, <laughs> only Don Svana can manage to make steel drums sound happy. As we made. mentioned last time, it's yes. why I brought it up. I also wanted to like just steel drums. <laughs> no, I do presence, not like steel and drums and I do not like harmonica. And watch you wither. Yeah. Yes, please. Outstanding ending to an outstanding album. What else, what else can we say about Harry's toenail? It's a really kind of comprehensive album. Um, it, it shows a band with a, a lot of depth, a lot of range, introduces us to a really, really charismatic vocalist. I think like damn near up there with Peter Hamill, honestly, in terms of his e expressive range. I totally um, agree. I totally agree. I, I think the album too is, you know, I remember hearing it for the first time going, where has this been? Like I, I had been into Prague long enough and I thought, I wish I had had this a few years earlier because this is, you know, I'm losing time here, man. I'm going to die someday. I, <laughs> I, I need as much Nidderlog as I can. This is a great album. This is like really, it's shot to the top of my prog favorites pretty much immediately. I also really like the album cover. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like they've got a great, I mean, it like the logo, uh, I mean, it reminds me of like late 60s horror. I think it introduces us to a, a even now, sadly, unknown band. And, and I'll say this, like my experience with them was with you. I thought I was a fairly well-heeled uh, prog fan, but it, it's, it's telling that an album this exceptional could stay buried in time and dust. And I would say that that's an, an exaltation from me to you to really dig into the annals of Prague because there is a lot of stuff out there. A lot sure. of stuff that, that escaped pretty much everyone that came after the uh, first wave. So as is sort of characteristic with the time, they released multiple albums in the same year. Hard to fathom these days. The album cycles much longer. 
anyway, they released their second and final record, uh, Lady Lake. We uh, referred to this album earlier. There are uh, shades of what would become Lady Lake on Harry's toenail, but it, but I would say by and large, it's a more soothing listen. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yet you can kind of see that these were probably conceived pretty close together. Not just I think so. Not just because of the release date, but as you said earlier too, there you know there are elements of Harry's toenail and Lady Lake, and there are elements of Lady Lake and Harry's toenail, but. Sure. Generally, this is, yeah, this is the smoother, more rounded version of the Nidralog we heard in the first album. Right. And I think you can kind of hear that really well in the first song. And this is a song that I think is really special. And in that perfect world that we always talk about, this would have been huge. It's a and, song. Called, and I mean, if, if they have a hit, this is probably it, right? Yeah. It's called I Can Never Be a Soldier. And, uh, you know, it, this is 1972. You know, the Vietnam War is going on. Certainly America was more embroiled in that. But, you know, the, the, the times were pretty anti-war uh, for a lot of people. And I think this song kind of spoke to that. Um, and it, to me, it's everything great about Nidralog distilled down into one song. Um, it's coherent in terms of its narrative. You know, each part is really wonderful. And I think just such a well-written tune. Um, it, it really is. And I mean, it's, you know, it's pushing 12 minutes, but it coheres very, very well. Oh yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's not whimsical or episodic. I mean, it's a really, really well thought out piece of music. And we've talked about this band being heavy and pastoral. And I think this song merges that better than yes. I've heard in any other band. Really. It's like, you don't usually get those two things kind of intertwining so successfully. And I think they do it here because it's like, it's almost like black Sabbath meets Barkley James harvest or something. Sure. It's sure. Really absolutely. Like, yeah, it really has that vibe. And um, the middle bit with the flute, bass, and cymbals, it's like this quiet confusion. So it's, it's a little bit dark and paranoid, but again, it has that pastoral element. There's always that, that paranoid element sort of lurking in the background with this band. Yes. That kind of sense of unease. Yes. Even when they're, they're, they're most beautiful. It's one of the many things that makes them special, I think. So let's listen to a little bit of this. This is I Could Never Be a Soldier. So following I Could Be a Soldier, we get Ship, this bit of beautiful melancholy. Yeah, and, and another Colin Goldring composition. 
Yeah, he's. I mean, he's a little bit of a of a gem, a lost gem in the whole. Oh, totally. Prague world, I think. Totally. These two songs, the first one and Ship, kind of comprise this insanely strong opening, which I think the rest of the album has difficulty matching. I, I think there's a lot of good stuff to come, but these are two really strong songs, kind of in the way that Long Live Man Dead came out and just like, just tore it up. Both of these are a little more linear and less erratic than the highlights on the debut. But as you say, you know, probably this, this song has probably some of Colin's best singing. Oh, I think so. I th- in fact, I think it's almost a vehicle for his singing, really. The next song, A Dog With No Collar, I, I think is fine. It, it kind of reminded me of King Crimson's A Letters, minus that incredible tension and drama. Sure. It has that, that aesthetic to it. And of course, now when I say King Crimson's Letters, we sort of think of an experience we had last year, don't we? Uh, yes, we do. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it up because it's just kind of funny. But Hunter and I attended a King Crimson show, uh, which is really more of a major event, life event, I, I suppose, in um, Raleigh. Yeah, I mean, North it was, it, it was, I mean, it was a life event because it, uh, it was a celebration of a life event for me for getting married. That's right. So, that's yes. right. Yes. I, yes. I guess I treated present you to that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. My present to you. Multiple um, life events. While your wife sat at home and didn't go to King Crimson, but that, you know, that was really, that's her, her problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love your wife. Not as much as yeah. you do, but certainly you know, <laughs> you appreciate her quite a bit. So um, anyway, we go, we go to see King Crimson in Raleigh, North Carolina, late October, and they played the letters. And I think after the show, we overheard this guy right behind us say, eh, I could have done without the letters. <laughs> And I mean, anybody that knows Crimson and, and saw this lineup, and I, everybody's entitled to their opinion, of course, but they, they killed it. They just, it was like, it was a highlight right. of, of, of the and show. No, it, it really was. And it's it was such, a peak. It, it, yeah, and it's such a high point in their catalog and their incredibly, you know, amazing catalog. And, and, and this guy says, eh, I could have done without the letters. I don't know if he was trying yeah, to be like. I could, I could do without oxygen. Yeah, right. <laughs> Water. You know, it's, it's not that great. <laughs> so anyway, A Dog With No Collar does remind me just a, just a hair of, of, uh, of that song. I, I, I see that, but like you say, it's just, uh, it's just a brush on the actual letters. For sure, for sure. So the little Dog With No Collar piece is followed by two songs that I think really tied up the album extremely well. The yeah. first one is the title track, Lady Lake. Uh, this is a song stapled together by a really great, compelling complex bass line i think that i think here the quirk and the madness of the first album returns i agree this is actually one of my favorite neutralog songs oh great yeah i'm it, it, it's high it's a high one for me too i you know of of all the 13 that exist or whatever um <laughs> <laughs> it's it's top four it, it's got these drastic kind of loud soft dynamics sure um, very seamless flow and here again i think this song really and, evokes Vandergraaf. And, and I agree. And and one thing I want to say is like you're talking about these these wild shifts in dynamics and mood. Like pretty much anyone can write a piece of music where things shift wildly without any kind of interconnectivity. I think it speaks a lot to um this band's songwriting capacity that they can do things like that and still make these really like cogent, powerful pieces of music. When you say loud soft, or when anybody says loud soft, unfortunately, I think of new metal sometimes. How that was sort of <laughs> bastardized and <laughs> 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 bring it. 
Hey, man, I, I was alive in the time of Jinkos, man. I remember <laughs> those dark days. <laughs> we we have just desecrated Nidralog's name. It, it, let's get let's let's get back here. Nothing is sacred. Nothing. No- Nothing sacred under radical research. Um, so yeah, that's this song. This song is is triumphant. Nidralog. It's it's really great. And I was a little bit mistaken in saying the last two songs close this out strongly. There, there's another song in between. Yeah, same dreams. Um, maybe I tend to like forget about same dreams. It's probably their most regular of all their tunes. Yeah. It's okay. It's it's not detrimental to the enjoyment of the record. It's a it's a bit akin to solo era John Lennon, which by no means is bad, but it's by no means mandatory Nidralog either. And then we get to social embarrassment. Um, and something weird about this song is like the new guy in the band, John Earl. He came in only on Lady Lake. He was instated for you know uh, playing woodwinds. This was his job, uh, kind of just adding to the wide variety of instrumentation that this band always had. And he sings lead vocals on this. And I always, th- always think it's so weird when a band chooses to end an album, because that's such an important moment in an album sequence. Yes. And they choose to end it with sort of a new voice. And, right. and that uh, for some weird reason, the, the two albums I think of immediately that do that, that kind of let me down a little bit are Black Sabbath's Never Say Die, which I think is an otherwise great album. Uh, I don't like the last song, which I believe is sung by Bill Ward. It is. Just kind of doesn't work. I also for me. don't like it. Yeah, and then Saint Vitus's "Die Healing," which I'm a Ooh, huge yeah. Scott Riegers fan. Love, love that guy's voice. And then Dave Chandler, who always he should stay on guitar. <laughs> of course, you got to love his role in Saint Vitus. But when when "Die Healing" comes to an end, it's like get that guy off the mic. Terrible voice, terrible song. Like it. So. But the, here, here's the beauty of Nidralog and Lady Lake is that Social Embarrassment, this final song sung by John Earl, is fantastic. It really is. Yeah. He's similar to Colin. He's got a nice clarity, sensitivity. He's still got that power and attack. Um, I love this song. I, it gets into an area that's... It's different. It, it sure. is different. It's a detour, it's which a detour. is also a risky move at the end of a record. Yeah. Would you say it, it's got a bit of a proto-metal element to it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's frantic, it's erratic, it's, you know, it's just heavy, a little more straightforward, maybe. I, but I mean, like, that proto-metal element, like, lurks within Nidralog. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it's like, it's, it's deployed tactically. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's like, it's always in their back pocket, and they're just waiting for the moment to use it. Let's check out Social Embarrassment and let the listeners be the judge. moments like that they later kind of feature some dive bombing woodwind and cello accents again when do you say that but this is what they do so. 
there should be more dive bombing woodwinds in this world. Really. That's how I. That's how I hear it. it it's just kind of. It's kind of mercenary. It's. It's pretty sure. So, great band. Um, I don't know if you know this, Hunter. We haven't talked about this aspect of this band, but they reformed twenty-seven years later, and they released an album called Gnosis, uh, G N O S I S, in two thousand. And from the reviews I've read on Prague Archives, I'm really hesitant to check it out because it's it. It doesn't sound terrible, but it sounds like it could be, really be a letdown. And I think the pedestal that we hold these two albums up on, really, we don't want that tarnished. No. So, no, I mean, I mean like, I, I, in fact, I would almost just willfully ignore Gnosis. Because it is, it's, it's one of those weird, like, small discographies that's so pristine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know me, I'm given to like wanting to know the full story. And it, that really is band dependent, you know, I don't know in every motor. And ladies and gentlemen, let me confirm that <laughs> Jeff Wagner wants to know the whole story. <laughs> I've gone down some dark paths in my journey, <laughs> but you know, but see, it's paid dividends because what if I was one of these people that didn't want to go past Sabbath, or go past Ozzy Sabbath or go past even Dio Sabbath, like eternal sure. idol wouldn't be in my life. And that's like right. one of my favorite albums of all time. One of mine. What if I were to stop with Tales of Topographic Oceans? I would be missing out on my favorite Yes album, which is Drama. You know, Drama, this is a bit of a tangent, but we'll go on it because I think it you know, relates to what we're talking about with that Nidralog reunion album. But a lot of people dismiss Drama because of a different singer, kind of not, not the core legendary lineup, but I don't know how you can even deny Drama. What a fantastic and tight album. Oh, it's, it's perfect. It really is. It's. I mean, it's, I mean really, it, it's 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 truly like a perfect record. Yep, yep. We have exalted drama, and we probably will. This is probably not the last time you'll hear us do that. No, probably uh, not. Um. So. Our praise. So yeah. So as, as much as I'm guilty of of going down some dark roads and wanting to know a band's <laughs> entire story, this is one that I'm just really not going to want to delve into. Especially, you know, what's telling about it is it was just one and done. With the right. If they had done like a string and it was kind of like a successful sort of rejuvenation, you know, that, I might be curious about that. But sure. anyway, uh, you know, if I have an extra $15 kicking around in 10 years, maybe I'll, maybe I'll check it out. It'd probably be better spent otherwise. But As Hunter and I have mentioned, we both got the two-on-one CD reissue of, the t- of these two 70s albums by Nidralog. I suggest heading over to Discogs and picking it up if you like what you've heard here. We are not at all endorsed by Discogs, but I love using them <laughs> to to buy and to sell, and uh, it's just a wonderful site for information as well. I think listeners should know that you and I have had a long, heated um, history of the debate on making the perfect fried egg sandwich. Yes. I mean, very nearly as long as you and I have been friends. Yes. Yes. It came up early. We'll try to keep it civil here, but what is, what's your ideal fried egg sandwich recipe? Okay. Look, I'm, we're not joking. We love these. We are not joking. We love it. It is an iconic food item in my world. Um, (laughs) I am Southern. Okay. I'm from South Georgia and my, attitudes and opinions about the egg sandwich reflect that for i I am a purist so for me a perfect egg sandwich is soft uh enriched white bread um duke's mayonnaise and two fried eggs heavily seasoned with salt and pepper Mm -hmm. and nothing else 
it needs it needs no cheese um it needs no meat um it is a perfect food item texturally it says it's as, it's as important texturally as it is taste wise am i right it is and yeah. there there must be textural well and and here's where jeff and i do part ways but i will say this i am uh i'm a fuller more open-minded man than i was when we first started this debate so i'm willing to give concession to jeff on this one element which he will divulge shortly but i would say for me there is an importance in the textural uniformity of the egg sandwich mm -hmm. everything there's a synergy between the bread and the the creaminess and also the vinegar of the mayonnaise and then the, the just ever so slightly yielding fried egg the bite of the pepper we should probably start a sort of companion food podcast. <laughs> I think I'm talking Perhaps. about this with more ardor and conviction than I am even Nidralog. Look, go to radicalresearch.org and on our website, you'll find perhaps we'll, uh, we'll post our ideal fried egg sandwich recipes. Now, mine is quite similar to yours. I probably go a little light on the salt and pretty heavy on the pepper. Okay, fair Two enough. eggs for sure. The eggs, I like to get them a little bit yolky where oh, no 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 again we're, it, we're on the same page there it's not dripping because that's going to make the bread too soggy right but certainly uh i like i like a little bit of that okay. yolk coming through very very important jeff uh duke's mayonnaise i don't know anything about duke's and maybe you can you know share the finer points with us on the on the uh, website but i i'm a veganaise fan um i used to be a vegan and i found veganaise when i was looking for a mayonnaise alternative and i tried mayonnaise which I hope the Nanaise people are listening right now. I'm sure they are because, you know, sure they big, are. big Super Sister fans. <laughs> but uh, that thing, that stuff sucks. Um, but Veganaise is fantastic. And now that I've kind of expanded my palate a little bit, I still use Veganaise. So, I, uh, so I'll kind of use that. Well, that says a lot about Veganaise. Oh, it's fantastic. And I'm, e I'm eager to try. Next, it's great. Next I, I, know plenty of, I, know, I know plenty of hardcore meat fans that love sure. it just because the quality of it is, is that good. I'd like to try Duke's on an egg sandwich. Um, okay. Let me wrap this up real quick because people didn't come for this, but uh, we've got to get it out of the way. And so I'm, I'm with you on, on, on everything. Every now and then, though, I like to throw in a nice crisp piece of iceberg lettuce because I think it gives a perfect offset crunch to sort of how would you describe an egg sandwich otherwise texturally? If, if you had one word, what is it about it? It's uh, uh, unctuous. Unctuous. It, it, it's a, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. It, it's an, it, it lends a sort of nice crisp sort of uh, alternative to the unctuousness. It, it sort of, is unctuousness a word? It is now. Yeah, it is a word. Yeah. And, and so I like, I like it sometimes. Sometimes I'm not in the mood. I'm with you. On I, the would, I actually gave some thought to this after you and I talked about it this week. And I was thinking that like, Butter crunch would be the perfect compromise for us. For sure. There, it's not there quite so crispy as iceberg, yeah. but it would still, it would add a, a little bit of, of texture. And it doesn't do much for the flavor because, you know, it's pretty right. neutral flavor. It's so, nice. yeah. yeah. So, but meat and cheese, that just lends a, a gross yeah. mushiness to an egg yeah, sandwich. Yeah. So. yeah, no, egg sandwiches need neither meat nor cheese. So thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we've, got, we've got a lot more to go here, and we promise to keep it musical. Thanks for indulging us in the fried egg sandwich debate. Okay, the next album we're going to talk about is from a Dutch band called Super Sister, and I probably couldn't hold 
a record up much higher than present from Nancy. You might have your moving pictures, you might have your rock Rockerola, you might have a bunch of other stuff, but present from Nancy is up there with one of my favorites. How high is, does it rank for you? Super, super high, like absolute top tier prog. Um, I, I mean, it's just top tier music, really. Um, I, yeah, I consider it a perfect album. It is. Because I, I just can't think of how you would make it better. I can't think of anything I would take away. The other thing to me that's remarkable about it is how early it came out. 1970. 1970. Yeah. I mean, this is still like this in the embryonic stages of progressive rock. And if anybody knows anything about Prague, they probably know about the Canterbury scene, which, you know, kind of birthed, you know, it was from Canterbury, England. Um, birthed bands like Caravan, from there, Hatfield in the North. Um, I think Soft Machine is part of that whole thing. Yes, yeah, Egg. Egg, egg are great. Speaking of egg. Yeah, yeah speaking of that, yes, right. to, to lend some uniformity to this program. Yeah, I'd like, to, I would like the, to talk, like, anyway, let, let's move forward. No, I was going to say, I'd like to put the I polite mean, force like, between, between a couple of pieces of white bread, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, Dude, uh, yeah. and, you know, Camel is kind of sort of reminiscent of that whole thing. So, so this is Canterbury, and, and I think Super Sister, even though they're from the Netherlands. No, they're spiritual have, companions to the... Uh, to the Canterbury scene. They are, but I've never heard a Canterbury band, a proper one, be so malevolent sounding at times. <laughs> no. There's this element of Super Sister that's just not right, and it's just a little weird, and it, it's like, are these guys like the sweetest people in the world that you'd like to introduce to Grandma, or are they like serial killers? Because there's just this weird thread underneath the entire album. I don't know if you've heard this. Who, me? Yeah. Do you, do you oh, hear, absolutely. you hear what I'm talking about? I, sure. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, it, it, there's like a, an instability to it. Like at any given moment, <laughs> they're going to like teeter off the edge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit, it's a bit knowing too. I think they're, I think oh. they're having fun. There's that great line that says something like, sometimes we're progressive and we listen with attention to the mothers of invention. <laughs> That's a line in, in their album. And I think that, you know, they, they kind of do have that tongue in cheek, we're smarter than you sort of attitude that that zappa had um so let's get into it. it you know the first song is presence from nancy uh uh which features the song there's an intro to it and a song called present from nancy sure. and this comprises about a little over eight minutes um and here we have we, we get immediately get into like frantic canterbury jazz rock has that super sister quirk and energy um, really mean keyboard sounds like they're just choking the organ to death. Uh, schizophrenic bass figures, hypnotic, and really dialed in drumming uh, and flute, which is almost as aggressive. Very, like, very, very developed and precise drumming for the time. Okay. Yeah. Do your ears go to the drums often? Yeah. Listen? And I mean, that's the thing about like the Canterbury scene. There's like this, it, it, you mentioned the jazz part. Because yeah. most of the Canterbury scene was influenced by jazz. Yeah. Oh, for um, sure. And there's a sort of nimbleness and dexterity to the drumming on the Super Sister record that ties it directly into Canterbury. Mm -hmm. And uh, gravitation toward odd, odd time signatures, I think. Oh, yeah, and for sure. Evidenced by a song that we will discuss later in this program. We'll discuss it right now because I think we're there. You know, that, so really the intro present from Nancy is, is just kind of easing you in. And I think it's kind of a fanfare, wouldn't you say? I, I, yeah, absolutely. And I think this album, like any perfect album, 
uh, and we do believe in perfect albums here at Radical Research, yeah. I think. And I know a lot of people think, oh, that's just impossible. But when you can't take anything away and you can't add anything and it, and it moves you deeply and has for years, I think, I think you can call it perfect. It's okay. So this is one of those. And I think sequencing is a huge part of the perfect album. So yeah, it, it is a fanfare. And we get into Memories Are New, which is a three-parter. It includes Memories Are New, includes 11-8, which is the time signature thing that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. and a little bit called Dreaming Wheel While. Um, here we hear the first vocals, which are really kind of lithe and lilting, pleasant and unthreatening, but kind of a great contrast to when this band gets nasty. Right. And how do they get nasty? How does this band get all nasty up in this? This band gets all nasty with that distorted bass, son. <laughs> the quote-unquote fuzz bass. And, and I meant to research that before we did this, and I didn't. I, I, I'm assuming fuzz bass, because you used to see that credited with other bands. Right. You'd credit the, their fuzz bass. Do you know anything about this, or is this just a bass that's plugged into an awesome distortion pedal? I, as far as I know, that's exactly what it is. Okay. But I, I've never heard it used as deliberately and as maliciously as it is on this album <laughs> yeah i mean really like if you think about like the aesthetics of heavy music i mean you think about the lineage of that bass sound from from here to voivod to nuclear assault and onward i mean for me like this album is like the crucible of just deadly threatening bass oh totally one of the reasons i love it so much I, that that was one of the things that attracted me to this album initially and it's great because it's it's really jagged and just blown out and it really dominates that like frantic psychedelia that this band has and the organ in this part of the album reminds me a bit of dave stewart from a yeah, from Ag, north yeah, and national, national health. health and it, it's maybe a little bit less jinx yeah <laughs> everybody's jinxing on dave stewart and national health you know but but it it you know he's he he can go into more classical areas and which the super sister guys don't but um there's certainly the jazz and the frantic and, and the weirdness is all there so we're going to play a couple moments from memories are new this is the beginning part of the song 11 8.
Uh, this little bit of the album ends with a song called Dreaming Wee While, which is like a kind of a tranquil but potent bit of dark ambient pastoral atmosphere. But y again, I, and I think like as we, we talked about with Nidralog, it's kind of pregnant with this lurking doom. Right. And already now we've seen an incredible range with this super sister band uh, and the album just gets better and better. I, I kind of want to break the flow up of talking about the songs for a minute and talk about the packaging. The okay. band have a really unified look to them. Um, they're all in this plain black clothing. They look almost metal, except for maybe the glasses on a couple guys. Um, <laughs> they're tramping. I wear glasses, so, you know, nothing against the four eyes out there. They're tramping around in scorched earth. And as simplistic an idea as it is, I think the unified look of the band at the forefront of this burnt landscape just works. Oh, absolutely. Um, we should also point out that Super Sister, unlike the other two bands under the microscope in this episode, they actually had a handful of albums to their name beyond Present from Nancy. Uh, we, I think we prefer this one, but I, I, I know I can speak for myself. I'm not sure how many of these others you have, Hunter, but I can highly recommend. Only, only one. Okay. I can highly recommend the next one to the highest bidder. And in fact, well, yeah, I, I have that, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's two of the highest bidder. There's Pudding and Gesterin, and Gisterin, which is really a bit erratic and a bit eccentric and a lot of fun. And then a very different album called Iskander, uh, which is kind of their instrumental somewhat fusion-y, somewhat jazz-rocky album. Really good. So I, I do highly recommend all Super Sister for the most part. I just think that you got to start with Present from Nancy. Totally agree. So back to the album, we get a bit of an interlude with Corporation Combo Boys, which mm -hmm. is just kind of some mirthful, mirthful stuff before the album climax of uh, Metamorphosis. And Metamorphosis includes three subtitled movements, Mexico, Metamorphosis, and Eight Miles High. Yes. Um, I will speak particularly to Mexico. Um, in a perfect world, I think that the first minute of Mexico would be as iconic to um, the Prague canon as the beginning of King Crimson's and the Court of the Crimson King, personally. It's high praise. It, I, it is high praise, it, but it, it, I, I assure you it is not hyperbole. No, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm with you. such atmosphere to it that I, I honestly like in i just think it's one of the most powerful moments of music in the early 70s really so when you listen to metamorphosis and i'm talking about you know the, the the two main parts of it mexico and metamorphosis itself do you think of like trace bruance from mr bungle and secret chiefs maybe having he had to have known of super sister it's i'd like, like to think that it feels like that kind of music it and does we, We've talked about other prog or other just experimental music from the 60s and 70s where we're like, oh, Trace Bruins must love this. And he probably doesn't love it all that we're, yeah. that we're identifying for him. But it, it does have that vibe of like being proto-Bungle. Oh, totally. And Bungle Absolutely. being huge in both our worlds. It, there huge. you go. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned California earlier. I mean, that's like a top five record of all time for me. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't know. I. I think there are probably a lot of things that led Trace Bruance to make the music that he does, but I, I would like to think that he has heard this. At least this song, because this, is, this right. is some spectacular stuff. We're actually going to play a couple snippets in a row from Metamorphosis. The first one will be uh, a bit of Mexico, which Hunter highly praises, and I'm with him on that. And we'll play a bit of the fuzz attack on Metamorphosis.
of time your eyes are glittering I am sure the sun will soon be coming in Trembling signs betray the watchman of the night So this piece ends with several seconds of the birds eight miles high sung acapella. And can you recall another band that actually opened an album with an acapella snippet of another bird song? And I'm going to tell you, we love this band and we both have this album. Damn it. I know I got you on the spot. I'm so sorry. You do. You do. Um, Come on, dead airing. Good I'm, for ratings. Let's go, man. I'm, I'm blanking, man. <laughs> The Melvins, they opened the maggot with Tambourine Man. Yep. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man. Exactly. Kind it's of all washed out. Yeah, and kind of, so, yeah, deliberately off key. So all the noise sinister we've heard. Traps. What's that? I said you're, you're sinister traps. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> it, just, it just kind of occurred to me last listen. I'm like, wait a minute. This is the birds, and I think there's some other birds thing, and it just sort of came to me so all the stuff we've heard um that makes up the body of present from nancy brings us to the conclusion um in this eight minute piece that i just find fascinating it's i think this is latin dona nobis possum pasum yeah possum 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 okay sounded profound we we don't want to be bleeping things out here (laughs) keep it clean again (laughs) family show This is really the stealthy genius part of the album. I mean, it's, it's this brooding ambient thing. It just modulates slowly and patiently over eight minutes or maybe six or seven until kind of near the end, we go from this sinister thing uh, to what is kind of like this carnival-esque dorky music. And I think what might, that might ruin it for some people, but for me, it just underscores the, just how weird and subversive and Sure. Just a little bit wrong, these guys. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, under normal circumstances, I would be opposed to such a thing. Uh, but there is, like, this like this evil whimsy to Super Sister. The way they do it on this track, when they go from sinister to whimsical, is so stealthy. You know, you don't really know what they're doing until suddenly you're in this completely different world than right. you were, say, 20 seconds ago. And it's all done in this linear ambient sort of track. Um, so that's the end of Present from Nancy. I, I just think it's, it's a, just, just about as perfect as it, as it can be. It's an extraordinary record. And I think people should get the 2008 esoteric reissue. 
again, go to Discogs or wherever you like to buy music. And that one features a few bonus tracks, including the great She Was Naked, which was a single back then, and uh, three other tracks. So a total triumph, Super Sister present from Nancy, and let's move on. Okay. Um, I am going to introduce Art Kane in a context of spite and anger. Because my co-host, Jeff Wagner, <laughs> scored this album at an antique store, a flea market or something. It was a record store, but it was a dusty old eh. record shop that had, you, in you, my, in you my for three hours and walk out with two things. In my know. remembering, it was at a flea market or something. So he- You wanted to be there. That's what you wanted. Yeah, I did. It, well, right. He brings this record to my house. I used to live in North Carolina and I lived, Jeff was in Virginia at the time and we lived close together and we would get together and listen to music. And so he brings this record down and correct me if I'm wrong, but you began your really, really um, intense foray into prog rock in what, like 2002? Well, yeah, I was, that's when I was delving into stuff beyond. Right, right, right. You yeah. were into prog rock before, but I mean, sure. that's when you, you got seriously. Yes, absolutely. And I started really digging hard. And, and about that time, and so anyway, I, I had caught Jeff's enthusiasm, and I started doing the same thing. So let's fast forward a couple of years to 2004. So Jeff tells me about this French band, Art Kane, that he has discovered. He found their record, Odyssey. Um, and he comes out of my house and he plays it. Like, blows my mind. Just literally, like. First track, completely sold. And he tells me that he scored this album for $15. So I'm thinking, perfect. I've got $15. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a grad student and I'm living on a stipend, but still I got $15. Well, unfortunately for the rest of us, the record cost about $300. <laughs> yeah, probably anyway, my, I'll, probably I'll, 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 I'll put this aside and I'll just say this is um, – is it truly, again, like, I don't think Jeff and I are blowing smoke here. The, the albums that we are discussing in this podcast for us are all top tier prog. Sure. Um, this album, in my opinion, gets unfairly typecast as a King Crimson ripoff. There are two moments on the album that borrow rather conspicuously from King Crimson. Jeff and I were having a little conversation before this, and we were saying, you know what? How many 70s prog rock bands didn't borrow from other more well-known bands? You know, I mean, you think about Friendship Time. Great band, right? Yes. Well, probably wouldn't exist without Yes. Correct. But, but at the same time, they're no Starcastle, who were just terrible. Because they right, were, right. They were it, it, it's a matter of tribute versus ripoff. Right. Right. Exactly. It is. And, and, and Art Kane, more than stands on its own i mean they're they're a great band in their own right they are free to have their influences we all do but i don't think that they should be persecuted because they have two moments on one record that sound like king crimson um they play mostly dark atmospheric prog um they have a lot of synthesizer which always compels me a bad band can probably get uh, an ear if they have more synthesizer, <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm a I'm a Moog and ARP whore, admittedly. Yeah, you um, and me both. Yeah, um, but anyway, um, I um, I would say 
largely, if not unknown band, then certainly a lesser known band. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. Especially for the fact that they had no other album. They didn't have a demo collection that's come out since. They didn't have anything live that has come out. They had no video uh, DVD or anything. They had, uh, you know, just no reunion album. It was just one and done. And, and I don't, you know, I don't know what kind of a splash they made back in 77 when this was released. It was recorded in 76, but yeah. And it was on the Phillips label, which decent distribution, but yeah, sure. the fact that it's so kind of obscure and rare now tells you that it, they didn't probably press many. I don't, you're right. It dropped out of sight real quick. And you know, they're just, but I, I love that mystery about them. This is just, this is just the one, you know, totem, well, it's like all the totemistic yeah. album. It's wonderful. Like the great uh, one and done Italian bands. Oh yeah, there, there are quite a few of those. Maybe we'll quite do a few. An yeah. episode on on the one and dones from Italy. Yeah, but this this is a this is a fascinating album. You know, you know what's interesting about it too is just the sound alone. If you if you look at the production, like it was recorded in '76, but it sounds real '72. I mean, it's uh, it sounds well. I mean that I in a good way. I don't mean to belabor the the Italian association, but it, it is like that. Yes, it's um, raw. It, it's, it's raw. Yes, absolutely. even nearly garagey, but it but because you're dealing with imagination and sophistication here, it it kind of has that great. It, it kind of transcends all that. It's like the best, you know, second wave Norwegian black metal, where right. you know where imagination and ingenuity triumph over resource. Right, and in fact sonically sometimes you know people started kind of going for this sort of more lo-fi approach i don't think that was the case with art kane but to me no, it just it sort of lands kind of lands a kind of antiquated um kind of wooden kind of rural and just weird vibe i really like how it sounds it just doesn't it just doesn't sound like a 1977 album no i mean then you had a lot of rounded slick stuff in 1977 yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, we've we've addressed the elephant in the room of King Crimson, and an elephant that looks like Robert Fripp is a little bit of a scary notion, but we'll we'll <laughs> we'll get we've, we're over that. We're gonna play something from the album from a song called November um, that I think portrays this band pretty well. Uh, this has moments of co cosmic bliss and metallic hammering, kind of back to back. Some meditative passages, some schizophrenic elements, and. You may not hear all of that in this clip, but this is from the song November. So that was November from Art Kane's Odyssey album. Uh, I think when you talk about French prog, this band sits in the realm of other bands like Shylock or Arachnoid. And I don't know if that's resonating with anybody out there, but if you do know French prog at all, 
this is on the darker right um, kind of stranger more cosmic uh, side yeah they, it's like this um this median between like the you know, like Ange and then you know i guess what came in the late 70s with you know the rock and opposition movement and even yeah. i guess even magma but yeah i, I think the the arachnoid and the shylock comparisons are dead on the money doesn't sound like those bands exactly but definitely related to them spiritually and then kind of going more in that direction i think the album centerpiece the song that takes up most of side two if you've got the vinyl hunter um which i don't <laughs> yeah oh, let me let me say this guys um lest you think i'm that bitter in a gesture of friendship jeff actually bought me um a japanese um, sort of mini LP um, CD. So it just to, to, to mend the bridges. I, I might have been mending the bridges. I might, I might be that good of a guy. I might be coming for your second born. So just, you know, just. Well, you know what? I'm coming for your trilogy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hunter is long pined after my Ulver trilogy box set thingy, the, the picture disc thing. One of the few, probably the only picture disc I hold so dearly. But there it is. So anyway, back to Arcane One. This is this is the large piece on side two, and it opens in this kind of Klaus Schultz Pink Floyd fashion, very yes. cosmic, yeah, absolutely ambient drift. Really takes time to build too. And like I gotta say, this is like proto dungeon synth almost because of that like recording, <laughs> because yeah. of the recording quality. Yep. Um, it sure would sound mighty good on a limited edition cassette. Thirty three max. Am I right? Yeah, with some Alderwood ash thrown in. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's this song, the longest one, that, that really brings to mind another band um, from France called Pulsar. Have you heard them in this song? I, I really hear a lot oh, of Pulsar oh, here. Oh, man. No, dude, I hear Strands of the Future and Halloween in this. Yes. Big time. Big yes. time. Yeah, and those, those are the two Pulsar albums. Super I mean, I, just like, yeah, just gray, atmospheric. Oh, yeah, but, but also cosmic. Yeah, I, and, and to, if you haven't checked out those two Pulsar records, highest recommendation. For sure. Very, very special. I'm going to play a part that's about six or seven minutes in on Art Kane One, where the synth, to me, I had this, I always have this vision of like this synth coming in from left field in the cosmos, <laughs> eating up the space and spacey sound around it. It's just, it's just crazy. And I don't know if I'm the only one thinking this or if I need to smoke more pot or something, but like it, it really works so well. And uh, here's that moment in Art Kane One. So that was uh, Art Kane one, um, really the epitome of the band Art Kane, uh, swampy kind of musty moments within this sort of, I don't know, grandiose shell. I think musty uh, is a really good adjective for Art Kane. And this song is fascinating and slow but gradual build. I just, I just really love how it just builds and builds and builds. And it's really, it's really a great moment. Um, the final song of the album is a bit more human, 
kind of adds a kind of naked layer to the ending. Melancholy, kind of dreamlike. Uh, and as we mentioned, just, you know, one and done with this band. Are there any other moments that you like on this album? Or is there anything else you want to say about Art Kane's Odyssey? Yeah, I, I love um, the way it opens. Oh, um, yeah. I, I think it's like one of the, in my mind, like one of the kind of iconic riffs, melodies of that era. Um, that yeah and when you talk about it it makes just makes me so sad that most prog fans probably don't know about it um you know a lot of a lot of a lot of fans in the know do you know here's our here's our attempt at spreading the gospel just a little bit further All right, listeners, we appreciate your time and your consideration of our obsessions. We hope that you share them. We hope that you learn something. Next episode, we are going to be delving into the arcane and mysterious world of Austrian metal merchants, Disharmonic Orchestra, a band that has released several records, had a huge impact on me and, and Jeff, um, in the early 90s, um, released some really extraordinary music on Nuclear Blast. Also, a sort of a thematic tie-in. That bass sound that we mentioned in the Super Sister record, um, it finds uh, its most fruitful form on Disharmonic Orchestra's third album, Pleasure Dome, particularly on the title track. And I assume that Jeff and I will be getting pretty in the weeds on that. It's an extraordinary piece of music. Mm. And we look forward to sharing it with you. Until next time, friends. Kill for metal. Die for Megadeth. <laughs> Good night.